Cool. Thank you, guys. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, I'm going to go ahead and just open us in prayer. Um, so, God, thank you, Lord. We just thank you, thank you, thank you for this time tonight. Um, yeah, God, I just ask that you're just in my words. Um, we just ask that you, can we just invite you to come tonight. Um, we just ask that you just open our hearts to everything that you're doing, Lord, because we believe we're just brought here, like, with a reason, God. So just speak to us tonight. We thank you. <laughs> we thank you. Oh, praise the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, come off that teamwork right there. <laughs> cool, cool. All right, um, cool guys. So, how many of you guys have been here the last couple weeks for our Hope series? Yes. All right. Well, if you haven't, we have a Crux cast now, so go go check that out. Yeah, because we've had some pretty powerful speakers the last couple weeks, Emily and Pastor Andrew, um, and so we're actually going to be closing that series tonight. Um, but hope goes on. You know what I mean? All right. Um, so tonight, to bookend it, just kind of praying and asking God, we've done so much with hope already. What, what, is your, what do you want tonight? <laughs> God, what do you want to tell them about hope? What do we not cover? What are we going to, like, leave on? What is our end note for hope right now? Um, and I really, really feel like he was just pointing me towards this idea of, like, actively hoping. <laughs> and this idea of just belief and just promises and what we do about that today, just very practically. Um, and it's something he's taught me some stuff about. Um, so that's what we're going to be doing tonight. Um, but just to center myself, I want to start with a story. Because I just respond very well to stories. And they're just such cool teaching tools, you know. When you forget the specifics, you remember the story and then backtrack back into what was taught. Um, so I was praying. I was like, God, what kind of story can I tell? What can I tell about this idea of just, like, really believing when we hope? What, what, can, I, what can I do? Um, and he, he took me to an interesting place, um, to kindergarten, actually, so fun times. Um, some of you guys might already know this, but basically, back when I was about five, actually this started when I was about four, and it escalated to, like, dangerous levels, but when I was, when I was about four or five, I honestly believed with my whole heart, with everything in me, that I could fly. And I'm not talking about Southwest. I'm saying I thought I could fly, you know? Yeah. I don't remember how it started. I don't know how that idea got put into my head. I think I was just watching a Superman cartoon, and I'm just like, I can do that. I just, I believe I can do it. I really, I really think I can. Um, and so, you know, I was not a very bold little kid all the time. Um, but I remember we had, like, a big rock in our front yard. And I was like, step one, you know? <laughs> so, like, I tie a towel around my neck, and I jump off. You know, and I don't jump off with my feet still like perpendicular to the ground. I go like parallel to the ground, you know, like, like I'm going to fly. I'm not going to like kind of land, you know, like I'm going to fly. Um, and of course I just eat it. But you know, the first time was on grass. It was about a three foot drop. No big deal, you know. And to some people that could be confirmation like, hey, I can't fly, but not me, <laughs> not me. What I had in my brain was this idea that, well, I know I can fly. So what's getting in the way of that? Oh, you know what? I bet I just have to believe it more, you know? Because I was thinking about it, and I'm like, you know what? Right before I got off that rock, there was this doubt of, like, maybe I can't because I never have before. And I'm like, you know what? Maybe if I did it next time and just stopped that thought, maybe I could do it, you know? And I was like, well, what inspires more faith? I'm like, bigger odds, you know? <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. So I went, to the, I went to my little, went to school, you know? I went to the sandbox, and we had this, like, little slide. It was like three or four feet high, you know, and there was sand beneath it. And I was like, I got this, you know, whip off my shirt, tie that around my neck like a cape. And I just like, I just like dive off, you know, and again, I just, I eat it. I get winded, but you know what? My first thought when I got up wasn't even, ow, it was like, I didn't believe hard enough. So I'm like, efforts must be doubled. <laughs> and so the next day. I like, I saw a swing set. I was like, perfect, perfect, you know? I was like, I already start flying when I jump off, you know what I mean? Like, I give myself the advantage, you know? And at this point, it kind of drew people attention because the swings were in high demand. People are like, one, two, counting to, for me to get off. But you know what? I'm like, for me, that was like liftoff, you know what I mean? Like, they got to 100, and I was airborne, ready to go. So people are watching me now. I didn't have a cape this time because, you know, a swing, I don't, I don't know. Um... So I just, like, launch off, and I just full on, like, just parallel again. This fall was a little more substantial, and so when I hit the ground, I was down for a little bit. 
And then this, this kid came over to me, and it wasn't even a kid, it was a lunch lady, and she like pushes me, and she's like, are you okay? And I was just like, oh, I need to try harder. And then the next day, yeah, yeah, this got, this got a bit too far. So you guys know, I don't know if everyone has a sandbox like this, but usually in most good sandboxes, there's like the little slide and the big slide. So the big slide was this just gigantic monolith that just shot out of the sandbox like 12 feet high. It was made all of steel, you know? And I was like, ooh, yeah, this is it. This is the launch pad. This is where everything changes. And so I literally stand on the top of the slide, and I just tell, I just scream as loud as I can, everyone, I am about to fly, you know? I was like, everybody, I am about to fly first thing I did wrong was jumping toward the slide, not away from the slide. And I'll remind you that the slide was steel and my ribs were not. But that didn't stop me. I just jumped. Like I just, everything in me was like, this is the time. And you know what? It was a particularly windy day. So there was like a half second where I was like, all my dreams are realized. Like this is it. This is the moment where everything changes. And then the next thing I remember... <laughs> I was on the ground uh, with some seriously bruised ribs and a teacher that says, okay, we need to send a note home to your parents because you can't fly. <laughs> so why do I tell this story? Why, why am I bringing this up at all? It's silly. It's weird. Why do I do it? Um, because I think it demonstrates hope. Granted, I put my hope in the wrong thing. I didn't anchor it in truth. Um, <laughs> but I had a hope. I hope that I really believed in, I mean, with, with everything in me. You're five years old. You don't have time to deal with pretenses. You don't have time to deal with all these lies. You don't have time to deal with everything that can get in the way. You just believe. That's just it. Um, and that's the kind of hope I want to talk about, is this kind of hope that inspires just we really believe it. <laughs> we really have faith in it, you know. So this message is going to sound like I'm talking a lot about faith, and I am. Um, but I have a scripture here in Hebrews 11, verse 1, out of the NLT. It says, faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance about things we cannot see. So this is my bridge. If you're like, he's talking about faith. I thought this was hope. They're linked here. <laughs> you see that? Sometimes faith is just the fuel. It's the proof that what we hope for is, like, real. <laughs> we actually believe it. A hope that's doesn't inspire action is not hope. <laughs> it's half-heartedness. It's just divided loyalty. It's just, it's ultimately weak. <laughs> it's not hope. <laughs> That's not the hope we have. Um, yeah, strong hope just begets belief, which is just faith in action. That's just it. <laughs> so my question tonight for all of us is, what are we really believing? <laughs> what do we really believe? When we hope in something, do we really believe it? Or do we kind of just like mentally like tip the hat and be like, yes, that sounds about right. You know, like subconsciously like, yes, I kind of agree, I suppose, but I'm not really, I'm not really believing it, you know. Um, and that kind of hope doesn't lead to actions. That kind of hope just begins and ends right there of like, yeah, I kind of hope this happens. Yeah, I kind of hope it works out. And that's it. It falls flat. That's the end of the story. Um, but real hope really does inspire us for more. It becomes something we hold onto. It becomes the springboard on which we just go further <laughs> because it's just fueled by faith. I love what they talk about faith. Faith, even the side of a mustard seed, can move mountains. That sounds like something we need for hope, right? <laughs> hope with some power to it. Hope with something we just really believe. This is verse we've all heard as well from James 2, verse 14. It says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? Hope, like faith, if it doesn't inspire us towards works, towards actions, towards doing something with it, um, it's just, it's not enough. <laughs> it's not what we need to have. As Christians, it's not, it's not the kind of hope we're supposed to hold on to. And what's hard about that is because what that can do is it means we just hope like everyone else in the world. <laughs> it means we hope just like everyone else in our broken culture. 
it means that when stuff hits us, when circumstances, when trials hit us, when everything tries to get in the way of that, people look at our lives and they don't see any discernible difference. But when we really have hope, when we really have that hope that we just hold on to, that we believe with all of our hearts this is true, this is the truth that God told me, there's something about that that's unshakable. <laughs> there's something about that that people can see it and recognize something different. <laughs> As Christians, we're supposed to have this. We're supposed to have something more. We're supposed to have a hope that's just enduring, and I think we miss out on it. <laughs> I know sometimes I do. And so my first point tonight is just, do we believe what we believe? <laughs> it's silly. It's circular. I've said believe already like nine million times this sermon, but it's because I'm trying to really reinforce this in your guys' minds. This is one of those critical things that we need to think about is, do we really believe what we believe? the truth of the gospel, <laughs> the plans we believe God has for our life, all the promises we see in the word, everything he's told us, do we really believe it? Or do we kind of like, on a survey, we would click, or we would check off, yes, I do, versus no, we don't. You know what I mean? Like, gun to my head, I guess I, I, guess I believe. Do we really believe it? <laughs> do we really believe it in a way that just influences every other part of us, you know? <laughs> because again, if we don't, we have a very weak kind of hope. <laughs> And that's not good for us, that's not good for our hearts, that's not good for the people that are watching us. Because we say we have hope, we say we demonstrate it, but if we're not demonstrating it, then, we <laughs> then we're falling short, and people aren't understanding the hope we found. <laughs> Maybe we're not understanding the hope we found. <laughs> so where do we put this hope, where do we, where do we get this hope, where does this hope, where does it draw from? Um, I found this, this scripture out of the, the book of Lamentations in the Old Testament, chapter 3, verse 24. It says, the Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I will hope in him. There's all of these verses about putting your hope in the Lord. There's all of these verses, but this was the one that spoke to me this week because it comes out of a place of lamentation. It comes out of a place where the people of God were in a place that circumstances were against them, trials, all, they were in a horrible place, they had sinned against their God, they were trying to repent, they were doing all these things, and I love that it's in a book of lamentation that we get just this such distilled and just powerful picture of hope, which is just, the Lord is my portion, <laughs> the Lord is mine, it says my soul, <laughs> not says my lips, not says my mind, my soul says, God, you are my portion, <laughs> therefore I will put my hope in him. So my second point is, are we putting our hope in the Lord? Because did you notice in that scripture, it says, yeah, God's my portion. My soul says that. Therefore, I put my hope in him. It's not, I believe this, and that's just kind of happens. I like that it has put. That says that there's something on me that I can do to place my hope in the Lord. I think as Christians, sometimes we think that like, as Christians, yeah, we just, we always kind of hope in the Lord, right? How does that work for us when we really hit times of struggle and just circumstances that just break us down? <laughs> Those are the moments where sometimes our default isn't like, glory to God, yay! Sometimes those are the moments where it's like, I put my hope in you. <laughs> my soul says that you are mine and I put my hope in you. I put my hope in your hands. It's safe there. I was thinking about all these things. I was thinking about the way, like, God, show me some of your servants in the Bible. Show me people that have, like, demonstrated this kind, this kind of hope, this kind of faith that just holds on. Um, and I kept thinking about Abraham out of the book of Genesis. Um, the guy that, for a while, when they referred to our God, it was the God of Abraham. <laughs> the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. God wasn't ashamed to be known in context of this man. Yeah, I'm his God. You better believe it. And why is that? He was counted righteous because of his faith, is what Hebrews said. I'm just going to read the first section of Genesis when the Lord speaks to Abram, because at the time his name was Abram, which just meant father. <laughs> so Genesis 12, verses 1 through 4 is, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and, th and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abraham went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Can't say that word, but I'll give it a shot. 
So in this scripture, God promises to make Abram a great nation. He promises him that those who you bless you will be blessed and curse you will be cursed. He gives him these really big promises. But God says, go. <laughs> God says, go here. Abram was part of like a pagan culture. <laughs> this is before the law showed up. This is before that time. This is before this God was really known. There's a reason why for a long time they referred to him as the God of Abraham. Because before then they didn't have that context of like, who, what is going on here? But they knew this is Abram's God. And when he first talks to Abram, he just says, I'm going to give you all of this. Go, <laughs> follow me. And what blows me away, too, is, like, how teachable is Abram? <laughs> He's 75 years old, set in his ways, presumably. And a God says, give up everything you know, and I'm going to make you great. <laughs> give up everything you know. I have a promise for you. And I love that right on the heels that, of that promise, it said, Abram went. <laughs> just like that. He believed in that promise. Even though that God didn't have a context yet, it was just this thing that spoke to him. And he said, go, and he said, I will. <laughs> He said, go, and he did it. He believed in the promise. He believed. He had hope. He had faith in this God. And then in Genesis chapter 15, God promises even more. <laughs> it says uh, in verses 1 through 6, it says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. It said, Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward the heavens and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offsprings be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteous. After God has already promised him, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. <laughs> I'm going to give you legacy, Abram. I'm going to give you all of this. And he walks for a long time, and he doesn't see the fruit. But he still has the promise, and he's still wandering, following after this God. And he has a moment where he kind of just starts to crack, and he just says, God, what's going on? <laughs> you promised me a nation, but I don't even have my own heir. And I love that he just held to that promise. He said, what's going on? After all these years that passed between chapter 12 and chapter 15, he doesn't say, you haven't shown up, so I don't believe the promise anymore. He comes to God and says, what's going on with the promise? <laughs> he says, what's going on with this? Because my heir, it's, it's this random dude. In that statement, it shows how much Abram still believed the promise. He was just concerned because life happens, and years went in the middle. What happened? And God was so faithful that he tells him, he affirms him, and he says, no, it's from you. It's from your very own son that these things are going to come to pass. God says, I promise I'm going to give you a son. Not too long after this, God changes Abram, whose name means father, to Abraham, which means father of nations. <laughs> Abram got an upgrade. <laughs> and I think it's so interesting because he even did that before his son Isaac was born. The first promise came when he was 75. Isaac didn't show up until he was about 100. That's 25 years. That's like most of our lifespans in this room. <laughs> That's a long time to be waiting for that promise. It's a long time. And I love that God tells him, you're not just father. You're father of nations, believe me. And I love that Abraham, from that point on in scripture, it just says Abraham. It never once again says Abram. It's just Abraham. And you know what that tells me? That tells me that even without the child of promise on the scene, when God says, no, you are not only a father, you're a father of nations, he says, I am. He says, this is how I'm known. Call me Abraham. He probably had to deal with people in a culture where, like, parenthood was such a big thing, where legacy was pretty much your retirement plan, when it was your, when it was your position, when it was everything, to be 75 and still not have a kid. And worst of all, in the schoolyard, your name is Father. <laughs> All those menu, hey, father, you're not a father yet. Well, how's that going? And even before, even before Isaac even shows up, he says, it's not enough to just be father anymore. I've promised you father of nations. You are father of nations. And Abraham says, I am father of nations. Abraham's a man that held on to that promise, even after years. And something about rearing a child is there's a time window, <laughs> at least for half of that equation, 
<laughs> every year they got older. Every year it probably looked more and more like an impossibility. And I love that Abraham said, I am still father of nations because that's what my God calls me. I trust his promise. I trust him. I have hope. The key to this is we have to put our hope in him. <laughs> the thing is, if we put our hope in other things, then we're going to have hope like everyone else does. And as Christians, that's not the hope we're supposed to have. The hope we have is anchored in him. You get all these imageries, there's a Bible verse about it somewhere of like hope is like an anchor. <laughs> that's because it is when we anchor it into him. It's our tether. It's that thing that when we hide our hope in the Lord, nothing can come against it. Because the Lord is strong enough to be like, no, your hope's with me. <laughs> Trust me. Put it in me. <laughs> it's okay. Abraham puts his trust in the Lord. Even though every year he got older, every year he probably felt farther from that promise. But he kept the name that God gave him. And it, even that name testified, no, I am father of nations. Do our lives reflect that same thing? Those things that God's promised us from the, his word, from things he's just told us, do our lives reflect that? Or do we hide it? Do we say like, no, I don't know. Do we say there's no evidence around me and every year I get a little bit older? Or do we say, no, this is what God says. <laughs> do we say, this is what God's promised me? And I guarantee that kind of hope is so dangerous. That kind of hope is gonna get attacked <laughs> because it is so strong. And that's why some of the biggest promises over our lives, we might find that sometimes those are the areas hit with the most spiritual warfare. Those are the very same areas that we just feel like, oh, that promise can't be true. I'm, I'm trusting on this word of, the word of knowledge. <laughs> I'm trusting on this. What do I do? We anchor our hope in the Lord, and we trust him. It goes back to point number one, do we believe what we believe? Do we believe what he told us? Do we believe who he tells us we are? Do we believe all the promises he's given us, both directly and in his word? <laughs> I have this verse in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. It just says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who is promised is faithful. I like that here we get this image of we just have to hold fast to it. And why do we hold on to it like no tomorrow? Because the person who told us is faithful. Because the person who told us is worth believing. And we hold on to it. Why do we hold on to it? Because everything else in the world will try to get in the way of what God's told us. <laughs> everything else, circumstances, relationships, bank accounts, the enemy himself, things will get in the way. But why does God tell us things? Why does God give us promises in the first place? One, because he's faithful and demonstrating that is just part of who he is, but also because we're supposed to hold on to it. Why does he speak to us those promises? Because we're meant to hold on and not let go. You know what the correct attitude is when God promises you something? Is that is mine. <laughs> that is mine. <laughs> and death itself will not take that promise away from me. Nothing will take that promise away from me because it is mine. God gave it to me. He's a good father that gives good gifts. He gives his good, good promises. I don't know about you, but I don't want to give those back. I don't want those stolen from me. I don't want those taken. I want to hold on to them, and I want to just anything that tries to get in the way. This is mine. <laughs> Point number three is do we believe God's promises? Because anything short of real belief, anything short of real faith is just a half measure. <laughs> it's not strong enough. It's not enough to do what hope is supposed to do if we only half believe it. That's why I love that one prayer of that one guy that follows Jesus. Just like, I believe, help me in my unbelief. <laughs> that prayer is kind of paradoxical, but I love it and I love that guy's heart. Because what that tells me is he understands how important belief is. And there was something in him that was getting in the way of just having that encounter with Jesus. When Jesus says, believe, I do believe Jesus. Help me in my unbelief. Help me because there's still things that entangle. Help me because there's still things that try to tear that away from me. And that's a good prayer to have. 
that's a good thing to encourage us. If we're in that spot of like, I want to believe with everything in me, but there's still stuff that gets in the way. I think that's a perfect valid, perfectly valid prayer to pray. It's just, I believe, but help me in my unbelief. Increase my faith. Let me hope. Let me hold on to what you've given me. I just love that. I want to share something else with you, too. It's like Abraham walked this place. You know, he walked the path of just hope and believing in the promises, you know. You have that all throughout scripture. Later on in Genesis, you have Joseph, which is like Abraham's, I don't know, great-grandson or grandson, somewhere in there. He has a dream from God that basically said he's going to, like, rule over his brothers. <laughs> he has this promise that says, this is you, Joseph. This is you. And he believes it so much. Maybe, you know, he handled this a little poorly, but he believed it so much that he immediately testifies to his brothers, the people he's supposed to rule over. <laughs> which, again, with older brothers might be ill-advised, but still. He believed it. He believed what God showed him. He saw this dream that showed his future. He saw this dream that says, Joseph, this is you. And he tells everyone, guys, this is me. And then what happens with the promise? Was it fulfilled that next day? Did he wake up totally jazzed and was like, oh, I'm already ruling. This is great. No, the very next things that happen is his brothers try to kill him, but then decide to have mercy and say, you know what? Instead, let's just sell him into slavery and never see him again and fake his death. So immediately after all of this promise is like, you're going to rule. Your brothers are going to honor you. All of this stuff. The very next thing is his brothers try to kill him, and he gets sold to slavery. He loses his identity. He's slave now. That's him in a foreign nation. And I wonder what Joseph thought. I wonder if he felt betrayed. I wonder if he felt discouraged. I wonder if everything in him said, where the heck is that promise? I'm going into another nation. I might not even see these brothers again, and these guys were supposed to honor me. That vision, I saw it. But Joseph held fast to that promise. And how do I know that? Because everything in his behavior demonstrates that. He gets over there, and what does he do? He just serves faithfully. And right away, people notice this thing on his life, and he gets favor, and he gets these appointments that are just higher than the rest of his peers, higher than any slave should have. He held counsel with people that he had no right to as a slave. And he honored what God was doing. And even then, he was right hand to Potiphar. Then what happened? He got framed for rape and thrown in prison. How many people know that seems even further from that promise? <laughs> I'm going to rule. It's going to be great with all my family. Oh, wait, maybe never see my family again. Now I'm a slave. Oh, wait, now I'm actually a slave who's in prison in another nation. Every step next seemed like a step in the opposite direction. I guarantee for him, every single step like that felt further and further from his promise. <laughs> How could it not? And yet his actions still demonstrated that hope. He was a servant, and then he was a criminal, or charged as one. He went from a servant to a servant in jail, but he had the heart of a ruler. He had a heart of that promise that God told him. And even there, he loved the people in the jail. He served the people of the jail. He ministered to the people in jail. They made him like lead prisoner. <laughs> even in jail, he got elevated to a position. God was still working with him, and Joseph doesn't get out, or doesn't give up. <laughs> and then what happens? He gets sprung, and then he gets like second over the whole kingdom. <laughs> and he sees the fullness of that promise. But it wasn't right away. <laughs> and in fact, Holding on to that promise, it felt like every single step was in the wrong direction. But he held on to that promise. And how do I know that? Because if you don't hold on to that promise, if he didn't have faith, if he didn't have hope in what his God told him, he would have not have done the things he did. <laughs> he would not have made it. <laughs> he would have been broken. He would have been shut off. He would have been angry. He would have been all of these things. But you know what he wouldn't have been? He wouldn't have still served. He wouldn't have still been appointed. He wouldn't have still kept holding on. You see that everywhere else too. You see King David, <laughs> same thing. The high priest Samuel comes over. God says one of this guy's sons is going to be the next king of Israel. The dad doesn't even include David in the lineup. He said, is there anyone else because it's not any of these sons? He's like, well, actually, there's the runt of the litter in the field. I guess we can bring that guy in. And God's like, this is my king. This is it. And you might notice that the next day, 
David didn't sit on the throne. <laughs> the next day, he went back to that same field, and shepherding at that time was one of the lowest of the low positions. <laughs> Their firsthand witness account didn't even hold up in court. <laughs> That's how low they were on the social totem pole at the time. His God, through Samuel, says, you're going to be the next king. And the next day, he's back, lowest of the low. But you know what changed? He held on to a promise. You know what changed? He had hope and faith in what God was doing. And so even though he looked bottom of the barrel, he was already cultivating the heart of a king. And we see it in the Psalms because we see his worship. We see his petitions. We see the way he cries out to God. And everything in it marks him as a king to me. And he was still feeding sheep. <laughs> then he gets elevated, has that moment with Goliath. He starts to get some you know, renown. He gets one step closer, and then what happens? The current king turns against him and tries to kill him. Then he's just out again in the wilderness. <laughs> one step closer, two steps back. Does that sound familiar to any of us? <laughs> when we hold on to the promises, does that sound like some of us here? Wow, God, this is so amazing. I receive it. This is great. Something hits us in the face. Oh, I, I must have been wrong. Or do we hold on like Joseph did? Do we hold on like David did? Do we hold on like Abraham did and just say, no, this is what God's told me. This is the promise and I call him faithful, so I believe. Circumstances come what may. Tribulation come what may. God, I don't care if something comes at me that makes you look faithless because I refuse to believe it because you are faithful. Guys, we're in this weird spot. We are only, most of us here, early, mid-20s. Some of us a little further than that, but not by much. <laughs> it's one of those things where we could get a promise, especially in a church of ours, we'll get a promise right now. Because it doesn't happen this week, we feel betrayed. <laughs> because it doesn't happen this month, we feel like God's forgotten. Because it hasn't happened this year, we feel like I've been abandoned, I must not hear God, all of this must be for naught, and we turn our backs on it. We forget that people like Abraham had 25 years to walk through wilderness on only the word of God that said, go, trust me. We forget that Joseph was in prison. He was enslaved where no one knew him. And he said, you still told me I'm going to rule. You still told me this. When we're in the college bubble, time has this weird way of distorting. We feel like, oh, I've lived a lot of life. You've been in college two years. <laughs> It might feel like a lot has happened, but it's only been two years. <laughs> Real hope is a more enduring kind of stuff. It's built on a foundation of faith. It is more. It is enduring. It is relentless. It is the thing that we hold on fast to. It is the thing that we bury. We anchor it in God. <laughs> and then nothing can get in the way. I'm telling you guys this because I don't want us to hope like all of them outside. <laughs> Because I have been in the middle of a really hopeless generation sometimes. <laughs> and I don't want that for you guys because you guys are my family. <laughs> because you guys are the children of God. You guys are the people that said, I am your hope. We have a real hope. We have something different than them. And the greatest honor we have is to live it out so that they can have it too. Our hope needs to be more than just seasonal. Our hope needs to be, I don't stop holding on until I see the fulfillment. If I die, I will hold on until I at least see it from afar. Because I believe you. There are promises God has over my life that can't even be achieved in my lifetime. And I say, God, even if I do not see the fruit with my own eyes, I will hold on to them. I will hold on to that promise because I know you are faithful. We don't have much time, so I can't get into a lot of detail, but there have been seasons in my life where God has promised me these big things, <laughs> these big, big things. He's promised me all these awesome things, all of these people, all of these things. And it's, it's so weird. It's like as soon as I start believing it, as soon as I start saying, I'm not ashamed to say my God has told me this. As soon as I'm not ashamed to say, no, I actually believe this. The world can call me crazy because what he has promised me seems impossible. Until I remember that nothing is impossible for God. Until I remembered that even though I don't see it with my eyes, my God is a creator God that is in the business of creating something out of nothing. Hope isn't something we see with our eyes. Hope is the things we cannot see, but everything that God tells us is real. 
And I've been in those seasons too, guys. And I don't, for people that don't know me that well, I don't want you to think that I'm just always like, hope is great, hope never fails, hope is, it doesn't. But at the same time, I know that the struggle is real. <laughs> All right? I'll be honest with you, the struggle is real. <laughs> I've had seasons where I believe the promise of God and then the very next thing happens is, I got kicked out of a school, I got kicked out of the place I lived, I got kicked out of my parents' house, relationships crumbled, my whole identity that I built up for myself crumbled, everything crumbled. <laughs> I didn't have a home, I didn't have a job, I felt like I didn't have a future, but I remembered, wait, God promised me, there's something over here. <laughs> God promised me I could actually make a difference for him. And I remember just crying, honestly. I remember there were nights where I would literally just be up crying, being like, God, I have no influence here now. I have no job here now. I have no savings. I have no place. I don't, I don't, what the heck, God? And you know, my, my answer isn't, oh, I must have heard that wrong. My answer isn't, I guess I'll just give up. My answer isn't, I'm betrayed, so I'm just going to pout here until I die. It wasn't, which, you know, it was for a couple days, but, you know, <laughs> we all have those struggles. My hope didn't die just because my circumstances did, <laughs> you know? And why, yeah, yeah. And I'm saying that because we all have battles. <laughs> I'm saying that because God has plans for each one of your lives. <laughs> I guarantee that God has put things on your heart, on all of your hearts. And I guarantee that with that, there's been times that you've had stuff come against that. And my question for you is, one, do you still believe the promise? <laughs> Another question is, do you refuse to let circumstances dictate the truth of what your God's telling you? Because, God, guys, it's so easy to. <laughs> it's so easy to choose hopelessness. It's too easy to choose bitterness. It's so easy to say that I'm unlovable, I'm weak, I have nothing to contribute. It's so easy to say I must not hear from God. It's so easy to say, no, he can't be telling me this. It's so easy to let wave after wave of circumstance say, oh, that's it, I'm throwing in the towel. Oh, that's it, it must be shut doors. Oh, that must be it, this, that, or the other thing. That's not hope. It's not hope that says, you're right, I'm done. It's hope that says, I believe the promise. It says, I have faith in what God tells me to hope for. If God tells you something about your life, I hope you hold on to it, you know? I love that verse. I think it's in 2 Corinthians, the whole, like, you live by faith, not by sight. I really thought a lot about that this week because I really feel like sometimes it's either or. Either we're people that live by sight or we're people that live by faith. I don't think it blends. I don't think there's a middle ground. Are we men and women of faith? Or are we men and women of sight? Because it's really easy to be men and women of sight. It's really easy to say, here are my circumstances. Here is everything that I see. The kind of mind God gave me, I'm extremely analytical. I like to dissect scenarios and situations. So when I say I see, I'm like, well, this is it. This is like the sociological underpinnings of this whole event right now. Where is God going to enter? Too bad I wasn't living by faith. I was living by sight. I was living by what every, everything I saw. <laughs> We're not supposed to be men and women that live, <laughs> that live by sight. We're supposed to live by faith. We forget that when <laughs> our Bible starts, <laughs> our Bible starts the first time, the living and active word of God, the thing that like remains forever, when he first, the first thing in our Bible is in the beginning God created. That's how he starts. Our first reference for a God is in the beginning this God created. And it's so easy to believe, especially with promises, especially when we think about our identities and all the things we feel like God's calling us to, all the situations, everything we believe God speaks over us, it's so easy to lose sight of that first fact he gave us. In the beginning, God created. He created me, he created you, he created this world, he created everything. He is a creator. He makes something out of nothing. <laughs> So why is it when we look at our future, why is it when we look at the promises, why is it when we look about the things we hope for, we somehow lose sight of that? Oh God, you can't make this happen. Everything would have to change first. This looks nothing like what you've promised. He creates something out of nothing. He does it all the time. 
why do we lose heart? <laughs> we lose heart because we have to live day by day. <laughs> we lose heart because realistically, this is great for right now, but the other seven days I'm outside. <laughs> I'm living my life. I'm going to work. I'm going to school. I'm doing, I'm doing the thing. I'm doing life. <laughs> and we lose sight of it. And we grow weary and we grow, it's easy for us to grow hopeless. <laughs> I know it is easy for me. Honestly, this week, I think I needed more intercessors. <laughs> this is one of those weeks, I'm like, God, I'm speaking on hope, that's awesome. And it was one of those weeks where basically <laughs> everything felt like it was coming against me to disqualify me from what God promised me. <laughs> everything seemed to attack my hope, every single thing. <laughs> and last night, I remember being so upset because I'm like, God, I don't know how the heck I'm gonna speak on this tomorrow. How am I gonna speak on hope when I feel hopeless? <laughs> How am I going to speak? How am I going to tell them about your hope when I feel like it's wishful thinking at the moment? <laughs> because circumstances suck. Because lies suck. Because all these things get in the way of the promise and what we put our hope in. And last night I had a dream. <laughs> and in the dream, God showed me all of these things he's promised me in my life. And I got to wake up and worship. And the funny thing was, I still felt like, how the heck am I going to do this? I still felt kind of hopeless. I Honestly, I still felt like, what am I going to be doing? But then I felt like God was saying, you're speaking about real hope, not world hope. And real hope says, you are anchored in me. Real hope says, circumstances can come, feelings can come, lies can come, but my hope is in my God. And I felt like God was just saying, tell them that. Tell them that you're not immune to feeling hopeless, and I'm not. There are days it's still really hard. There are still days, that it's actually just even kind of hard to get out of bed. You're like, wow, this is my life today, okay. <laughs> and like, you know, you have the next day, you're, you're doing great for a couple weeks, but you know what I mean? It's like once in a blue moon you have that morning of just like, oh my gosh. Oh, I forgot, life, okay. Huh. <laughs> we all go there. But what does real hope do? Real hope says I'm anchored in the Lord. Circumstances come and go. Feelings come and go. But I trust my God. And you know what's seasonal? The circumstance, not the promise. Okay? I want to encourage you when we live inside of our college bubble, don't get trapped by it. Don't get immersed in everything you see and forget that your faith you have. Guys, if you feel betrayed, if you feel forgotten, if you feel like the promise feels very, very far away, I understand that, but it's not an excuse to give up hope. <laughs> so what do we do with hope? We anchored in God and we let it influence our actions. If we believe the things we hope for, then our lives should testify to that. It's the reason why thousands of years later we can talk about Abraham, we can talk about David, we can talk about Joseph as these champions of the faith. If you want encouragement, read uh, Hebrews 11. It's the hall of faith. Faith is not too far removed from hope. The reason we can is because the hope transformed them. The reason we can talk about them is because their hope inspired their actions that testified about their God and changed generations. I believe the same thing is true about us. God gives us hope. God gives us promises. We anchor it in him, but then we have to start believing. And even if our cry is, I want to believe, I feel like God honors that if you bring it to him. Even if our prayer is, I believe, but help me in my belief, I feel like God honors that because God knows you. Sometimes he knows the struggle is real. God can work a lot with very little sometimes, if that's all we can give especially. Guys, I want you to have real hope, not the hope that can be taken away from you, not the hope that we see outside these walls, the hope that God gives us as just brothers and sisters in the faith. Because there are days... There are days when everything comes against you and sometimes the biggest thing God uses to minister to us, to encourage us, to build us up, is I remember that promise. I'm never gonna forget that promise. I am gonna hold on for dear life until that day that promise is fulfilled. And I testify about it now and you better believe I'm gonna testify when the day of that fulfillment comes. <laughs> we don't just start saying God fulfills promises when the promises are fulfilled. We say it when he gives us that promise. We say, God fulfills promises. He promised me this. How much of a testimony in it? God promises you some crazy thing. It happens. Oh, by the way, God said this years ago. 
How much more of a testimony when years before you're like, God promised me this, wait and see. My God is faithful, I will be faithful. We need to hope like that. We need to believe like that. It brings joy, it brings life. It brings us the strength to look at that life and be like, I can do this because this is seasonal, my God is not. This circumstance is seasonal, the promise is not. I put my hope in him because it's safe there. I put my hope in him because he's a good dad who loves me. He made me, he made my calling, he made the promises. I even had this thought too. It's one thing to believe and hope, it's one thing to hope. It's another thing to say, all of my hope is in you. You know what I mean? When you really believe in such a way that all of my hope is in you. And I prayed about it a lot today and I think that that's the only way hope is supposed to operate is all of it is in you. (laughs) And why do I love that? Because then it is no longer about me. It's no longer about my performance. It's no longer about all the ways I can disqualify myself. It says all of my hope for this promise rests in the God who is faithful to fulfill promises. You know? You guys can be comforted. (laughs) You guys can hold on to something real because God is faithful. I love that verse. Even when we're faithless, he proves himself faithful. I put all my hope in him. And I want to talk to a group of you too if you say, what is this guy talking about? God has never told me a promise. God has never, read your Bible. (laughs) The promises are all in there and to prove it, I've kind of picked a couple to build you up. Because you know what? I really do believe you guys hear God. I really do believe there's stuff he's put on your heart, the callings you know, the promises he knows about your life. But even if for some reason you don't see that, you haven't heard that yet, I want to talk to you about some promises that are just in the word. Because you know what? That's the word of God. That's good as gold. That's something we can anchor in bedrock. So Romans 10.9 says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. What's the promise here? If we confess that Jesus is Lord and we believe that God raised him, we're gonna be saved. So when the enemy tries to come and just says, I'm not a Christian, I'm probably still going to hell. Oh, wait, no, that's not right. Why is that? Because I confess that Jesus is Lord and I believe that God raised him from the dead. I have been saved. Maybe that's a basic one, but maybe that still needs to matter on some days. <laughs> that's a promise. We hold on to that. The next one, Romans 8, 37 through 39. Know in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Oh, that is a mouthful about the strength of God's love, right? Whew, that's a big, long promise with a lot of clauses that I absolutely adore. I don't know about you, but is there a day you feel unloved? You're like, you know what? The height of God love, God's love reaches me here, you know? The depth of it does, you know what I mean? Like the enemy can't stop me right now because his love, oh yeah, his love reaches there too, that's right. And that's right, nothing can separate. That's a promise. He says, I love like this. It's a promise that says nothing will separate. So we need to stop living like things can separate us from that. And I need to hear this as much as all of you guys. <laughs> don't disqualify us because God's love is bigger than. We can't out the cross. That's not an excuse to sin, but God's love is big enough. We hold on to that. Next thing I found is in Isaiah 40, 29 through 31. He gives power to the faint and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up on wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Is this a promise? Oh, you better believe it. (laughs) Why is this good? It addresses our demographic. It says, even you will be weary. Even you will feel weak. Even you will feel powerless. But when we wait upon the Lord, he renews our strength. We'll run and not grow weary. We'll walk and not faint. What is the promise here? When I feel weak and weary, when I feel powerless, when I feel helpless, when I feel like I have no hope, I wait for the Lord and he renews my strength. And he takes me higher than I ever thought I could. And just the last example of a promise I have is in Matthew 28, 20. Teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you and behold, I am with you always to the ends of the age. Sometimes it is this promise that gives me more encouragement than all the other ones. It's Jesus' parting gift before he pieces out. (laughs) I am with you always. 
I promise that. I am with you always. I promise that. <laughs> there is not a circumstance that you can be in in the body of Christ that God doesn't say I'm with you always. There is not any degree of trial or hardship that you can say Jesus is not with me. No, he is with us always, even till the end of the age. The age is not over. <laughs> He's with us. I just love that. Even those four scriptures, and again, guys, this is not all the promises. There are so, so many. This is just four. And in these fours, we have promises for salvation, that just unseparated nature of just how he loves us, that we'll be strengthened, that we're conquerors, and that he's with us. This is just a few. <laughs> I'm using the word itself because we don't have any excuses now. If we feel like we don't have promises, here's some. We can build a life on these promises. <laughs> So my question is just, do we believe? Do we have hearts that can hold on? Do we have hearts that can say, I will believe? <laughs> hope is active. Hope is alive. Hope inspires us to make our lives show what we hope in. I believe that we can hope so much more, <laughs> so much better that our lives will just testify to everything we believe. It will testify to everything of who our God is. <laughs> So, be hopeful. <laughs> awesome. Cool. Yeah. I'm just going to close this in prayer, and then I'm hoping we can honestly just spend a couple minutes uh, in small groups just ministering to each other with the remainder of our time. So, dear God, just thank you. Thank you, thank you so much for your hope, God. Thank you for so much for the way you tell us to just put all of our hope in you. Thank you that you are a God of promises. Thank you that you are a God of hope. You are a God who is faithful. You teach us how to be faithful because you are always faithful. Thank you, God, that you're making these men and women here of more enduring stuff. You're making these men and women unshakable. Because no matter where we are, no matter what's happening, we hold on to what you've told us. And we have such a real hope. We have a hope that we hold on to independent of our feelings, independent of our circumstances, independent of the past. It's a hope that just says, I believe my God more than I believe anything that I think, more than I believe anything I see with my two eyes, more than anything I believe from what other people told me. I believe my God first. We thank you, God, that you are one that can be believed, that you are always faithful. Thank you, God. Just bless your people tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>